This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, November 1st. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. More millennials and members of Generation Z are looking to add cryptocurrency to their investment plans. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the numbers on job openings, manufacturing, and construction are part of today's data mix. We're joined by Gus Fauché, Chief Economist at PNC Financial Services based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thanks for joining us today. The Federal Reserve doing everything it can to throw cold water on the economy, but the job market is proving to be very resilient in the face of all those attempts. Um, that, that's right. We continue to see strong job growth. And, and this morning we got data that indicated that employers are still looking to hire, even with the tight labor market, even with rising interest rates. Uh, the number of job openings rose in September from August. That's not what the Fed wants to see. They want to see the number of job openings decline. So this indicates that the Fed will continue to raise rates when they meet uh, today and tomorrow. Looking under the hood, what does it say about the uh, state of the job market in if the uh, rate of uh, quits is starting to slow down. Um, it could be that workers are a bit more concerned about the potential for recession. Uh, we see workers quit their jobs when they can get better paying opportunities elsewhere. But it could be that with the recession talk about the U.S. economy heating up, that workers are turning a bit more cautious, and so they may be a little less willing to leave their current jobs to take on a new one. Uh, and so that may indicate that, you know, there at least is some indications that uh, the higher interest rates are, are weighing on the labor market. And on this program and elsewhere, we have uh, gone in-depth on the woes in the housing market, new home sales, new home construction for sure. But U.S. construction spending actually bounced back in the month of September. So what was driving the rebound there? Um, yeah, so we, we saw a modest increase in construction spending uh, in September from October. Um, you know, we saw a pretty nice increase in non-residential spending. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, government projects, commercial construction, residential spending was flat. And if you take out home improvements, it actually declined. So there are indications that the higher mortgage rates in particular that we've seen with that 30-year fixed rate, you know, up above 7% now is starting to weigh on. On, uh, home building activity, particularly single family home building. Would that be a sign that the uh, spending authorized by the infrastructure bill that was passed uh, almost a year ago uh, is starting to make its way into the economy and those projects are starting to uh, rumble to life? 
Um, actually, we, we, we did see a slight decline in public construction spending in September. So I don't think it's that. I think that numbers that that money is likely to show up next year and in 2024. Um, but what it does indicate is that private sector construction, excluding housing, is looking pretty solid. We see uh, you know new warehousing distribution centers, new manufacturing facilities, those types of things, uh, even with all the extra office space that we have in the wake of the pandemic. And then when it comes to uh, manufacturing, the ISM manufacturing index falling less than expected in October, still an expansionary terrain. So despite all of the attempts to slow the economy down using the interest rate throttle, uh, American manufacturers still making things. Yeah, but I mean, the index was just barely above the neutral level. So we have seen a slowing in manufacturing growth uh, in 2022. Uh, A large part of that is higher interest rates. Some of it is due to consumers having bought a lot of manufactured goods, you know, over the past couple of years and not needing as much anymore. Um, and so we are seeing definitely slower growth in manufacturing. And I think we'll probably see a slight contraction in manufacturing activity in 2023 as the economy feels the full impact of those higher interest rates. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, more young investors are adding crypto to their portfolios. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Younger investors remain very interested in cryptocurrency. Let's talk about it with Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial, based in Chicago. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. This has been quite the year for cryptocurrency. It begins with a bevy of Super Bowl commercials, and then it continues with uh, crypto taking its lumps as interest rates go up and uh, people flee from risky investments. But for a generation of investors, especially younger investors, uh, crypto currency still carries some weight and as far as they're concerned it has some value what are the what's the promise and what are some of the pitfalls of uh, younger investors being that interested in crypto and wanting it to be a part of their retirement plans well rob i agree with you and i think you really have to look through the lens of a long-term investor certainly we have seen bitcoin move dramatically lower this year Uh, But if you look at the bigger picture, some of those crypto investors who got in very early, they are still doing quite well. But if you look at grayscale, the Bitcoin trust, BTC, that's down about 65% year to date. That's a correlated approach to technology stocks, which are down about one third of that loss. But I think if you look at the lens of investing, we want to buy in the dip. Is this the same as a technology stock? Not necessarily, Rob, but I do think there's a place in your portfolio for Ethereum, for Bitcoin to own it. So when you see stocks on sale, people typically run away. When you see Bitcoin, a different asset class on sale, you're seeing people shy away. But if you think about the way for decades and decades, folks have bought stocks in the market, they call it cost averaging, putting a little bit in every month. You can approach the same way into an alternative approach, an alternative asset class like cryptocurrency. And that's how I think you can have long-term growth here. So I'm a believer in Bitcoin. I'm a believer in Ethereum. I'm a believer in cryptocurrency. But yes, if you were buying at the high, I can understand how you are very, very once bitten, twice shy. Is this a combination of, uh, I know we talked about uh, FinTalk, you know, uh, financial social media channels uh, earlier this year, and that's always top of mind uh, when you go delve into finance on Twitter or TikTok or Facebook or elsewhere, and and then just the fear of missing out? 
FOMO is certainly a part of it, but it's also cyclical. If you think about cyclical investments, I know the other gold commercials, buy golden coins, buy gold bullion. That was very cyclical when you saw you know, 10, 15 years ago. So I think you have to really temper down a lot of the advertisement, understand where you want to own and understand risk suitability. You should not be invested 50% of your portfolio into a cryptocurrency or 50% into Microsoft. So I think you really have to understand. I think a lot of the, 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 the Gen Z folks are understanding and appreciating that markets move down as well as they move up. And we've seen this repricing, this revaluation across the stock market. And I think they've learned a lot from this. So I hope you continue to understand risk suitability and be comfortable with your exposure. But I do think owning cryptocurrency moving forward longer term still makes sense and you will see more and more exposure available exposure through 401k plans and other different etfs that will come to market i believe in 2023 the critics of uh, putting cryptocurrency uh, into your assets uh, are they're very they're passionate and they say that uh, when it come when you when you get right down to it uh, cryptocurrency has no intrinsic value it's not like gold it's not like uh, stocks it's it just doesn't have any value and that's why they stay away from it what do you say to those people who argue that uh, there's just no there there when it comes to cryptocurrency. I think it goes back to risk suitability. And if you talk about cryptocurrency, if you talk about Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF, ARK, that's down 60% year to date. That's almost neck and neck with the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. So I think you understand high beta, highly volatile exposure and whatever form or asset class that is in, you have to understand where it fits in your risk appetite. If you're a conservative investor, then you should be owning blue chip, Dow industrial names, not ARK Innovation, not cryptocurrencies. But I think it makes sense for the longer term to own 5% or less in this cryptocurrency because where we see the world going, this gig world we live in is going to continue to incorporate and embrace cryptocurrency in my belief. Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, the second-hand market is a growing destination for affluent shoppers. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The resale business is expected to see major growth in the coming years as more high-income shoppers get in on the action. We welcome in Jan Rogers-Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers-Niffin Worldwide based in New York. Jan, thanks for joining us us today. Is this a function of uh, higher prices uh, hitting everybody regardless of income status? Or is this simply a function of there are more options and consumers are more comfortable with them? It may be a little of both of that, but I think most of this is the fact that consumers are more comfortable with this process and there's more people playing the game. I mean, you look at some of the smaller, newer ones, recurate, archive, Reflaunt, Vented, Depop, Trove. Nobody even heard of those a few years ago because it was Thread Up and it was the Real Real and it was Vestiaire Collective and all of those other ones that we've heard the names of. But there's just new ones popping up all the time and places to go to do this. And on top of that, there are a whole lot of consumers that have figured out, well, gee, I can empty my closet. I can get some money back. I can reinvest it in more clothes and I can reduce the cost of keeping stuff in my closet. So I just think it's become accepted and it's become kind of cool, right? Because people like vintage stuff. And so if it's Gucci or if it's LV or Louis Vuitton, or if it's one of those and it's vintage, that's, that's even better for most retailers or for most consumers. 
And the retailers themselves like to see the brand being promoted. So they're not really resisting it like they were for a while. And so, you, sure, I mean, it's, there's a lot of them out there. Tradesy, Thrilling, Mercari, I haven't named nearly enough of them. And in the past, you know, the popular perception was that if you tried to get a luxury brand uh, via the resale market, there was a very good chance you would wind up with a knockoff, that you would uh, go to the resale market, you'd spend a lot of money, and then wind up with a Ronex or a Prada with two A's or or, 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 or something. You would just get ripped off. And it seems like now there's a proliferation of resale shops that are legit, and you can feel comfortable in knowing you are going to get the resale thing. Well, yeah, we've gotten a lot better at authenticating the stuff. And we're also seeing some of the bigger brands wanting to get into the business themselves, and they can authenticate their own products. So certainly, it's becoming more of a legitimized business. But it's mostly the fact that people think it's environmentally friendly, it's cool, it's cheaper, but I can get really great stuff. I mean, we've just gotten to the point that it's just accepted. On the other hand, nobody's doing very well making money in this space. It's been a hard business for companies to run because it's, you know, one-off items, getting it authenticated, getting it out in front of the customer, getting it to the customer, dealing with returns, all the things you have to do. And it's, it's a more complicated business than selling it new. So we're not really seeing much success in profitability so far. The resale business projected to grow by 80% over the next five years. Does that mean uh, with so many people coming into it that somebody will crack that particular nut and find a way to make money doing it? Oh, yeah, that'll happen. And we'll see some deaths in the business, right? Some of these smaller players will fade out because they just won't be able to make it. And we'll probably see some consolidations. And we'll also, like I said, see people like Louis Vuitton and Gucci move into the space themselves to authenticate their own products and and sell them second or used or resale, however you want to describe that. But we'll see all of that happen. And eventually we will see some of the companies get big enough and efficient enough that the profitability will be increased. That'll also come with the fact that people are going to be willing to pay more for the authenticated product. And as more people want it, it will drive the price up because it's not an unlimited supply. And I think we will see eventually some of the really big players figure out how to do this very efficiently, and then they'll start to make money. But so far, it's mostly been growth, 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 not profit, profit, profit. Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers Niffin Worldwide, based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, family trips are making a comeback as pandemic restrictions ease. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9.
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This is Rachel Pearson. Mayor Lightfoot's security detail was part of an exchange of gunfire in Logan Square. The search is on for the gunman in a drive-by shooting on the west side that wounded 14 people. Travel Tuesday, the easing of pandemic restrictions is fueling a resurgence of multi-generational vacations. And Twitter is considering offering verified accounts to users who are willing to pay a price. WBBM business, the markets are lower, the Dow is down 94 points, the Nasdaq is down 71, and the S&P 500 is down 13. 60 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies, going up to a sunny 68 today. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Mayor Lightfoot's security detail was involved in a shootout this morning on the near northwest side. The details from WBBM's Rachel Pearson. It happened in Logan Square near North Monticello Avenue in the 606 Trail. Chicago police say the off-duty officers assigned to Mayor Lightfoot's security detail witnessed a robbery in progress and that at least one of several suspects was armed. There was an exchange of gunfire, though no one was hit. An officer was, however, taken to the hospital for minor injuries. The would-be robbers ran away. No weapons were recovered from the scene. The shooting is now under investigation by the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. That's the story from Logan Square. Fourteen people, including three children, were shot during one incident on the city's west side last night at happened just after 9.15 at California and Polk. Police Superintendent David Brown says the drive-by shooting took place at a busy location. There was a vigil that we understand that was being, the balloon release was happening, but there may have also been others gathered for other various reasons. It's a very, uh, you know, common corner to be uh, where people congregate. The people were gathered for a vigil for somebody who died of natural causes. Conditions on the wounded range from non-life-threatening to critical. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red. We're joined by Chris Johnson, market strategist with the Johnson Research Group in Cincinnati, Ohio. Chris, thanks for joining us today. It seems like the trend between yesterday and today is that investors are exercising caution ahead of the the Fed's announcement. Yeah, well, if you look at the market over the last five days, that trend has been up or down either day, given whatever day you look at. And I think it's exactly that. We've come off a little bit of a rough patch of earnings last week. When you look at Amazon and Google, Apple kind of saved the day on Thursday and gave everybody a little bit of confidence rolling into the weekend. So you see a huge up day on Friday. No follow-through yesterday, and then today is definitely a little bit of the pre-Fed jitters as everybody's trying to figure out whether or not we're going to see that pivot or not. You're right about those jitters because it was just a couple of weeks ago the Wall Street Journal uh, had that story about uh, some of the uh, Fed governors talking about a uh, three-quarters of a percentage point interest rate hike uh, this month and then possibly uh, downshifting to uh, half a percentage point or maybe a quarter point going forward. Forward December into 2023. But now you're starting to hear, well, maybe what if that's not the case? And it sounds like that's the uh, prevailing mood today. Yeah, that has happened an awful lot here over the last month or so. We have had a situation where the Fed, every the Fed watchers, if you will, especially those, you know, in some cases, uh, some uh, academic types and such will come out and say the Fed is ruining the economy, or they're trying to basically say the Fed is doing their job incorrectly. I think what we need to remember is this is a Fed that is going to look at um, what they're doing very seriously, try to keep the blinders on. 
It's too bad they don't get to look at the CPI and PPI data for another week or so after this announcement. But I think you're going to see Jerome Powell maintain, you know, his vigil here or maintain his resolve. They are dead set on keeping inflation or getting inflation under control. And when you look at energy prices going higher, when you look at food prices still indicating higher, I don't think their work's cut out. So Fed fund futures right now pointing to exactly what you just said, 75 basis points uh, tomorrow and then 50 in December. Not going to be shocked if we start to see that edging up in December. And then where are we? You know, how would they interpret today's uh, uh, data about uh, the rate of uh, job quitting and uh, the number of job openings out there actually ticking up? I mean, the, the, throughout all of this, the uh, job market has been very resilient. So if you're, a, if you're uh, the Fed, how do you look at that? Well, it's amazing. People have kind of looked right over that. The jobs have remained incredibly strong. It's not the first time that we've seen a looming recession while jobs remain strong. Remember, they are also worried about wage inflation here. That is a large source of the problem. Um, I think that you're going to see the Fed make note of that tomorrow during the commentary after the decision. And yeah, I mean, you point out this is we'll see the jobs report at the end of this week. But again, that's going to be after we get whatever action the Fed is going to take. Expect them to remain cautious, especially when we see that the job market is especially resilient right now. And then very quickly, Chris, uh, where does the Fed settle when this is all said and done? Is it rates in the fours or the fives? I think you're looking right in between four and a half percent. If you look out again, using that Fed, puncture, uh, Fed futures tool, you see them topping out in March right around four and a half. Maybe the range is four and a half to four and three quarters at that point. Chris Johnson, market strategist with the Johnson Research Group in Cincinnati. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, bringing generations of family together via a group trip. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Travel is on the rebound. That includes multi-generational trips. Let's talk about the strategies for a fun family time with Angie Rice, co-founder, boutique travel advisors based in Scottsdale, the website travelbta.com. Angie, thanks for joining us today. How has the demand for multi-generational trips, and we're talking about mom, dad, the kids, grandma and grandpa, how has that picked up since uh, the pandemic restrictions have melted away? It's been in high demand, and I think a lot of that high demand is driven by people who live apart in different countries and sometimes obviously cities and states. And we're looking for ways to get back in touch with each other. And a perfect way to do that is to, to plan a multi-gen trip where you can visit your relatives, you know, near and far. And it's, it's something to look forward to. And it's a refreshing change of pace uh, to see some relatives, you know, in person as opposed to con- conversing with them on a on a Zoom call, as was the case in 2020 and 21. Absolutely. I mean, we have situations where relatives haven't seen each other for three, four years, whether they're living overseas or um, even just state by state where they've wanted to avoid traveling by air. And there's so many different options and ways to really plan a multi-gen trip, especially around the holidays. Some families really like the all-inclusive route or a cruise where everything's all-inclusive, where you can have one payer and most things can be prepaid. And others really like a more curated private villa experience where you can bring in a chef and everybody can be in one place to gather and there can be enough 
rooms and uh, space to really accommodate the size of the family. What are the more uh, common multi-generational family trips that uh, you've been involved in booking and planning? Believe it or not, we see a lot of multi-gens where maybe the grandparents are well-traveled and they want that first experience to Europe with their children and their grandchildren to really pass on that legacy of being worldwide travelers. So we find a lot of families really take that big trip to Europe. We find that families also feel that sense of retreat when they're in a private setting where maybe there's beach, swimming pool, and a lot of things to do outdoors. Some destinations that come to mind include Costa Rica, the Caribbean, renting a villa in Greece, Italy. Those are very common destinations to accommodate multi-gen travel as well. And the other thing about uh, multi-generational travel is that uh, the, the party is so large that you're, you're not all stuck together. You can all go off and do your own thing, and it also helps to have grandma and grandpa there to watch the kids if you want to go off and uh, have a grown-up uh, dinner or drinks with uh, your siblings. Of course. It really is a great opportunity to create an itinerary that can lend itself to to spending time together as the family um, gets together. But at the same time, it gives the, the cousins, the grandparents, aunts and uncles the opportunity to get together and to um, separate as well. So when we plan multi-gen travel, we really look at the complexities and the logistics and the interest of each traveler. You know, one sibling might have older high school, college students where the youngest sibling may have you know, toddlers. And so we really want to look at those different dynamics. And each day can be planned where let's think about the time the family should spend together. And then there are are there opportunities where um, we can divide and allow people to do things that they enjoy, such as the grandparents maybe taking the day to care for the younger ones, where the older kids can be zip lining and doing scuba diving and doing more adventurous activities that are not necessarily appropriate for the younger kids. So really understanding the dynamics and the interest of everyone in the family, as well as taking into consideration, do you want to be under one roof or do you need a little separation? Budget is something that you really have to take uh, account of because some of the families might have a bigger budget than the others in the family, or maybe there's one payer. So all of those dynamics are important to take into consideration so that we can really maximize the overall value and memories that are created for each person in the family. Angie Rice, co-founder, Boutique Travel Advisors in Scottsdale, Arizona. The website, TravelBTA.com. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A blue check mark indicating a verified user on Twitter could come soon with a price tag. Joining us now with the details is Gary Kultbaum, president of Kultbaum Capital Management based in Orlando. Gary, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Elon Musk uh, took a hold of Twitter last Friday, and now his... His job is to find ways to uh, monetize a service that many experts say punches below its weight, especially uh, given the influential people who uh, populate Twitter. And one is to uh, basically says, uh, if you want a check, you have to write a check. Uh, You know, considering he probably paid $3 for a $1 bill, uh, his job (laughs) is to turn it into currency. What I understand, I just decided to look at what exactly does a blue check mark mean on Twitter? And what it basically means, it lets other people know that an account of public interest is authentic. The question is, does me paying $20 get me anything for the $20? And I'm thinking to myself, probably not. 
So one would hope that they've been taking their time before buying Twitter on making decisions on charging at Twitter. I'm not so sure they did that. It seems like they may have just hip shot this baby to see how it works out. He's already come down to $8 after he had a little tip with Stephen King on Twitter. Uh, Who (laughs) knows where this ends up? Uh, One would think they would plan this out a little bit better considering it costs $44 billion, and a lot of others are on the hook also. And the uh, the origin story of the blue checkmark on Twitter uh, is of interest to people who uh, uh, live in Chicago because uh, this all stemmed from a lawsuit filed by former White Sox manager and then St. Louis Cardinals manager Tony La Russa, uh, who sued Twitter over an account that was impersonating him. And the part of the legal fallout was this verified account system, and if it goes away or if you go go to a pay-for-play model, uh, that probably opens Twitter up to that legal exposure once again. Absolutely. And I'm going to guess, this is just my guess, anybody with a blue check mark already has a ton of people following, and those ton of people following probably don't give a you-know-what that they have a blue check mark. So I think Mr. Musk better find some other avenues of currency. I'm not so sure he's going to make big coin off of this one. Uh, And again, I think the most important part, I'm hoping that they're sitting down planning things out before just, uh, you know, uh, shooting first, asking questions afterwards, because you end up looking kind of stupid. The good news is he's not a public company anymore, though he is kind of public. Well, Gary, speaking as someone who got the blue checkmark a couple of years ago, just as part of a mass verification by the company's social media team at the time, uh, I'll tell you, it really doesn't open any doors. And uh, as as a verified user on Twitter, I still have to run to catch the train in the morning. And I don't know if it's worth $20. (laughs) And you still have to sit in traffic if you're in your car, too. And I will tell you, I got a blue check mark for three days, and then somehow they took it off. I have no idea what happened. The the, the, the Twitterati took my blue check mark away. <laughs> Gary Kulpbaum, president of Kulpbaum Capital Management based in Orlando. Thanks for joining us today. Find him online at GaryK.com. Also look for his unverified Twitter account. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com. And the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. 
Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.